Our next speaker is Clive Seeger, who um, is Chief Executive Officer of Valiant Technology and the inventor of the pickaxe. And uh, he will be picking up on uh, opportunities for robotics and the new diplomas. Okay. I'm not from Valiant. He's over there. Where is he? Somewhere. <laughs> Next down the long revolution education, but that's fine. Um, just find my folder. Um, I realise you've been. Oh, sorry. I realise you've been sitting for quite some time, so I thought I would just introduce with a little bit of music. Sing along. <laughs> no. Um, the reason I, I've put this up is because I wasn't really sure what robotics was, and I'm glad that Torbin did his talk earlier because it, it, I always struggle with what robotics is. What's automation? What's mechatronics? What's robotics? And I think Torbin um, helped introduce that because it's a concept that we have there. Um, so I, I brought this one up here just to um, clarify an example of the type of work we do. My name's Clive Seeger. I'm the director of Revolution Education, um, and we produce many different microcontroller-based systems over the last 10 years, including many of the tech products, which um, some of you would go back 10, 15 years, might be familiar with, moving on to systems like the chip factory and the pickaxe system and other bits and pieces that some of you are familiar with. Um, the reason I'm along today is nothing to do with the um, technical side of the paperwork of what a diploma is, it's because people have come to ask and say, we're teaching with your resources. How do they fit in the new diploma? Can you give us some help? Um, and so that's what I've tried to do is I've tried to take it from the other point of view. Rather from the academic point of view, I'm trying to say, well, how can this actually be practically useful to you? Um, and it applies broadly to all the, the systems that are in. There's a number of manufacturers in this room. So um, the, what I'm saying about will apply to the, the pickaxe system that we use, but it will also apply to, to other systems if you're using um, one of the other competitive products. But the reason I brought this along is because is it a robot? What do you think? It's something that lower school students, and in fact this was actually primary school, year 10s were doing, um, and it's a programmable control. It does actually have a little light sensor on it, so you can actually start it off, um, and it was actually done as part of a two-day uh, project to actually link um, microcontrollers, electronics, and music together, where the students would actually build a unit of this, they would program it, and then they would actually compose their own musical in, um musical presentation to actually to, to play along to it. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, is it automation or is it robotics? Um, I'll let you have a think about that when I get my next book. If you're not sure about that one, how about this one? Okay, I'm sure most of you will know what it is. One of the little ABO robots produced by Sony until they decided to pull the funding. Unfortunately, I won't turn him on now because you won't take any notice of what I'm saying. But I will later on if you want to see him walking around. But I think you'll agree that that's what we recognise as a robot. 
um, an autonomous system. It's got sensors, it's got motors, it's got actuators, it will move around. It's got very sulky recently, so it's got some intelligence built into it. Um, with the ABO, it develops its personality as time goes on, how you interact with it, because I only turn it on every three months. It's very, very moody. Um, and it just tends to sit around and not actually do anything too much, where most of them will chase balls around and things like that. Fortunately, you can, you can hack, their, uh, hack their brains and get it a bit more lively if you want to. <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, there's basically, you know, it's, it's what we would recognize as a robot. Um, so I brought the two extremes along, really, to, to actually have, have a, just a little think about whilst I, whilst I move on to the next uh, next slides. Um, I stole this slide from uh, Martin Bevin, who's just moved from SMT to FAMIC. If, if some of you will, will know who he is. And he's, he's been heavily involved with the development of the diploma. Um, and he's actually coming from the SMC, who are the, the biggest supplier of uh, pneumatics components out into industry. It's kind of what do these industries actually want? Um, and that's because the diploma has been industry-led. You know, there's a, a large number of organizations that have actually worked to actually put some um, input into how the, the diploma has been developed. And this is a typical model of, of what would be used in a big uh, organization. So you've got the, down at the bottom, you've actually got the machines. So you've got field work where you've got actuators, you've got sensors, you've got hardware. And it could be automation, it could be robotic. I don't find much automation that isn't robotic in some way. Most automation does have some intelligence built into it now, responding to inputs. And how does that control? It can be typically via industry and PLCs, programmable logic controllers, um, or computer-based. And of course, for our point of view, things like the ASUS uh, EPC, have you seen those for, for £150? Um, LNX have got on their website this sub-99-pound laptop. Um, you have to pay a £10 deposit and you won't get it till June, but there will be a £99 laptop available in the UK. Um, they tend to run Linux because it's a bit cheaper, but they, there are um, XP versions of the EPC now. And so computers are becoming something that you can build into robotics now. They are becoming down to that level, and, and certainly we are looking at the, the, the overseas markets where, for instance, all the Spanish education have moved to, to Linux over the next two years. So um, there, there are uh, opportunities there for actually um, um, developing further resources. So you've got the control level, and then you've got the supervision level where you've got SCADA, uh, supervisory control and data acquisition. I had to write it at the bottom because I always get it around the wrong way. Um, and then you've got the, the planning stage up at the top where you have the, the manufacturing execution system, and then you have the enterprise resource planning right at the very top of it, it used to be called uh, management. So what are lacking out there? What do people want? What do the big industry want? And they want people really to feel one and two pyramids levels. That's the, uh, the field side and the control sides. So you've got talking about your operators and your technicians. Um, and what they feel um, is that is where your level one and your level two of the diploma can help fulfill. You can get students who are coming through the engineering diploma or the manufacturing diploma. I'm going to talk about purely really the engineering diploma today, purely because the manufacturing diploma doesn't start for another year and the pieces of paper are flying around and it keeps changing its name and things like that. So I'm, I'm going to focus on the engineering diploma. But how does the diploma help produce students who are going to enter into industry and have a bit more knowledge about these kind of areas. Um, and I think that's quite a very interesting challenge because um, most of you here are, are, are interested in robotics, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Um, 
So you probably have a good working knowledge of sensors, of actuators, of other devices. Unfortunately, um, a lot of the staff who are working in the schools and colleges who are going to be delivering the diploma don't have that knowledge, and that comes back to the CBD um, issues that we've been talked about earlier. But I'll come back onto that a bit later on. But so that, that's kind of a, a completely different view of what the diploma might be about from the employer's point of view. What are they looking to get? They, look, they want people to do these jobs. And, of course, they, they want people from university to, to work higher on the tier as well. But the number of people working is related to that pyramid that you see in front of you. And, as was mentioned earlier, the average age of the people working in the food, first two level of the pyramid is probably 45, 50. And those people are starting to retire, and there's not enough people to fill the gaps underneath. So from the industrial point of view, what they're very interested in is people of knowledge of these areas. And of course, robotics is a very good way of introducing these topics so students can actually get knowledge of, of some of these systems as they actually get up, go through. One little point to consider, seeing as so you've been sitting here for a long time, how much are you going to retain? How much are you going to actually remember? Conference, like today, is probably the worst way of learning something. Um, according to this resource, which is the National Training Lab, so out in the USA, you're only going to remember 5% of what I say. Got a nice dog. That's probably what you're going to remember. Um, the text reading, audio-visual, demonstration, discussion, training equipment gets better as you get down the line. As teachers, as many of you are, you probably know the best way to, to learn something is actually to try and explain it to somebody else. You can't get much better than that. But the next level up from that, the training equipment, actually physically doing something. Actually um, working with equipment, working with resources, building a robot, building a piece of automation, hugely important items to actually work with. And that's what I'm going to have a little look at now. Um, with the AQA specification as Brenda's actually been talking through already, um, there are two key areas that I've identified with the, the schools and the colleges that we're working with locally to try and help them put together a, a way of, of delivering this diploma. Um, the, the one that took struck most interest with, without, with robotics emphasis is Unit 2, sorry, Level 2, or was it Foundation? Standard. Higher. I should know because it's the same as Scotland. They've been just copied Scotland. They've been using foundation higher and advanced higher for many years. But yeah, okay. So um, for higher, um, I'll let you have a look through this. But you've got the robotic process control system, microcontroller programming. It's very clear, actually. Uh, you know, this is one of the options. Unfortunately, it's a option. You'll see it's got a B. I cut out the A option because you can do A or B. Um, and uh, those of you who want to have a look at the full specification, it's, it's on the AQA website, so you can link to it from there and you can actually have a download there. But I think what's encouraging from us from this point of view here is there is a very clear option of robotics being incorporated within the diploma. It says so. It's written in the specification. And I think that's a very positive mood. So you've got, um, talking about use of computer programs, which can be used of the processing, um, and it can be the computer that's the source of the control, or you can program, use a computer to program a microcontroller, so that the microcontroller is then the source of the control. You need to select and fit required sensors. Um, program the system. Run and test. Compare the behavior of different robotic devices, how they match the specifications. Record testing and modifications carried out. None of us have ever built a robot that worked first time, I'm sure. Um, and then produce a president and transmit it electronically. So I'm very positive 
that robotics has a very clear place within the engineering diploma. And I'm very positive because it's written in the specification. Um, so if you want to incorporate robotics, there's a very clear way of doing that within the diploma. And as been said earlier, it also links across into the electronics, for instance. So um, if you've got the part of the uh, electronic systems, it's probably a bit small for you to read here. But there are um, interpret and use circuits, schematic and system block diagrams, and identify circuit components and symbols. Okay, pretty essential when you're, when you're developing your own little robot. Um, and then we've got other bits and pieces here. And it does say timers, delays, and latches, but I've never actually seen the word 555, so I'm, I'm quite pleased from, from that point of view. There must be ways around that. If you ever want to know about 555 timers, phone up Rapid Act Electronics and ask them how many they sell each year. You'll be absolutely astounded. So um, you've listened to a lot of talking here. Um, and one of the issues, one of the questions that came up earlier was how students are actually going to work within the diploma and actually go out and visit companies. There is no way that the diploma can be taught just within a school. There's no point of that. And it is essential that it's linked in with industry. Unfortunately, very few schools have one of the big players, the SMC, the Jaguar, the Ford, on their doorsteps. And so I'll... 80% of probably the resources are going to be the small and medium enterprises. Uh, Revolution Education itself is one of those small and medium enterprises. We have less than a dozen staff. But we're still inviting people in. We've got um, robotic programming machines that program our microcontrollers. We can pro program 1,000 microcontrollers an hour using five different machines when they're, when they're all up and running. It's a fantastic process to watch. And that kind of thing is of great benefit to the students when they come in and actually have a look for them. It's also very difficult for the small and medium enterprise. You wouldn't believe how difficult it was for me to phone up my insurance company and ask them, can I have a minibus full of students walk around manufacturing. They wouldn't give me an answer. Well, they gave me the answer. It said, no, I can't possibly do that. It's not included. But then when you actually work through and you state things like the business, um, the work experience at schools, um, a law, whatever law it is, I can't remember what it is, and you walk through things like that, you say, oh, yeah, you can do that. And so there, there are ways to do it. So to raise one of the points earlier, it is quite difficult, but it's not down to the teacher in the school to do that. It's down to the business to do that because they want, this, they want the students coming through with the right level of skills. And it's something that as an employer I'm, employed, I'm, I'm willing to do. And I think it does need some more cohesion and it needs some more um, advice on how to do that. And I know there's organisations being set up to, to help companies do that. But it is sometimes, I think, a little... Um, orientated towards the very big companies. If you've got Jaguar or you've got Ford or you've got one of those other ones, it's, it's not really a big problem. But not all of the schools and colleges have those resources nearby, so they need to make use of, of other local resources. So I'm going to give you a little break for a minute. Um, I want you to have a look at this little um, video. It's about six minutes long. It's not particularly long. And I want you to memorise what industries are involved to get you an idea of the possible trips that could be done out on that, where robotics is used, where automation is used, and where there is not really a clear line between the automation and robotics and the number of different industries that are in the little video. So um, I'll just give you a little break from talking because you, you have been sitting there for a couple of hours. So uh, have a look at this and think when you're um, thinking about delivering a diploma, 
are these the kind of things that you'll be interested in actually having a look at? And this is where we try and get the AV to work.
I'll stop that a little bit earlier because I appreciate the time to get you on. Um, but I think most of you will probably come back to me and say that's more of an automation video than a robotics video. And I think there, there is a, an issue with that within, within the new diploma in that the two are, are very closely in, interlinked. Uh, but I think you can teach a lot of about the industrial automation processes by teaching about robotics in the classroom. You can't build a big conveyor or a big PLC in the classroom. But you can build a scaled-down version um, using my controllers and, and, and teach similar principles using a little robotic device. And so they very clearly um, interlink, and, and you have to kind of regard the two as, 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 as a, in a similar ilk if you're actually looking at uh, presenting the diploma. So um, a possible teaching strategy for teaching the diploma, and as I think you've probably realised now, I think the diplomas are extremely important. Um, and the government is putting a lot of money behind them. Um, to answer one of the questions earlier, some of the local um, places involved with we were working with have actually been quoted figures, I think it's about £1,000 per student. Um, so there are money to help the, 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 the people actually get up and running with that. Now, those kinds of figures obviously don't last forever, and they do actually, to answer John's question earlier, I think actually to create a little bit of conflict between some schools and colleges because it's about bums on seats at the end of the day. Um, but there is money available to actually help um, get this up and running. It's a hugely important for, for the subject area that we're interested in, um, and it just has to succeed because I think it's, um, if the diplomas don't succeed, then we're in a very very, very difficult situation. You know, failure is, is not, a, not an option. But to get people interested in taking a diploma, for instance, the engineering diploma, we need to inspire them very earlier on. Um, and so I would say that the, the secret to actually getting someone into an engineering diploma is to inspire them at key stage three or at primary school just by making noises. You know, you can wire up a motor, switch it on and off. Um, there's no heavy electronics involved with there or with systems such as the Lego that we'll be looking at later on. You know, they're, they're, they're fantastic systems for getting students interested and involved with it. And then at Key Stage 3, the model that the schools that we work with, um, they... Can I switch back to the uh, PowerPoint, please? I've got it on screen here. Now I've got it on my screen here. Just not up there. Okay. I'll close the media file. There we go. Success. Um, so basically. Um, the schools that we're working with, we're using the, the PIC Logicator, or as it's renowned now, Logicator for PICs, because we've had to change the, the name because of a trademark uh, issue. Um, basically, we'll be looking at a, a flowcharting application to do a very low-level budget project that students can actually take home. Um, the one I've got on screen is our little Rudolph kit that, that people can put together and actually program to play mobile phone ringtones. Um, but the bottom line is you can have a, a PCB and a chip for under a pound to put this kind of project together. Um, it doesn't have to be expensive. Um, the microcontrollers have dropped in price. I'm, I'm sure lots of you, like me, bought a one gigabyte memory stick 
two years ago and paid 100 quid for it or something like that. You know, they're, 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 ten, they're 10 quid each. It's the same with microcontrollers. The, the cost of the technology has got much lower, and we now offer uh, 8, 14, and 20-pin pickaxe chips for under a pound each. So you can have eight inputs, eight outputs for under a pound. So the cost has dropped right down to a, to a level that is accessible for, for building these projects into students' take-home projects. Um, so we can introduce students to the components, we can introduce them the concept of sensors and outputs, um, the ideas of programming, in this case using flowcharts or using one of the app, other applications that use flowcharts, and, and some basic knowledge of, of microcontrollers at a level that is very accessible. And if you think back to what I just said about the polymer specification, you've actually covered quite a lot of that at the key stage three level. And then um, just to, to clarify the, the PIC Logicator software that um, many people will be familiar with, it's now called Logicator for PICs. Um, because revolution have, have taken over the software since the, uh, the uh, issues with Econometrics going into administration. So we're, we're, we're now promoting the software and developing the software for a link with our, with our PICs and our, our PICAC systems. And so um, the software is still fully available and, and has been fully update, updated for that front. So um, this is based on a, a flowcharting approach although the pickaxe system also uh, supports a basic textual language. So if you just prefer typing switch on, wait, switch off type language, it also supports that. Um, and the, the options for on the Linux at the moment are we're working on the flowchart option and, and the basic is available now. So if you're working on that platform, that, that's also available from that front. Um, once you've got students from Key Stage 3, and hopefully they're actually started at 14, they've, they've opted for engineering and they're going down to diploma, I would suggest one of the fantastic ways of teaching it is to build some kind of little robot. Um, I've put the picture of our little sweet sorter there, which is one of our very popular models. I can't, if you want to see it working, it'll be outside later on, but basically what we have is a, a radio control servo that will move a sweep backwards and forwards underneath a colour sensor so that you can detect whether it's red, yellow, green content, so we, uh, red, yellow, blue, sorry, content, so you can and actually move it into the right location depending on what colour it is. Um, that's a model using a microcontroller that costs less than a pound. Um, obviously, the light sensor is a little bit more, but um, you can actually show the level of the control that you can do with these, these pound microcontrollers and something you can actually uh, build into it. And, and so that, I would say, is a robotic mechanism because it's got some intelligence. The chip is programmed to actually recognize the color, work out where the device has got to go to, and, and drop the suite in the right department, in the, in the right slot. Um, so if you want a mechanism to, to work with, that kind of thing is available. Or, as has been suggested earlier, and it's actually my preferred route, because I love to see the, the things that students come up with, is actually to build your own item from scratch. You know, these models are great and we supply a lot of them, but to actually, um, for a student to actually take a task and develop their own, may it just be a moving robot or one of the um, items to actually just take a, 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 um, a robotic football game or the, or the dance mechanisms that are available, the robodance kind of colleges, very good. If you want to go up to a higher level, then up outside, I've got a new machine that's been specifically developed for the diploma by a company that we're working for, the called Inspire Technologies, who actually did the video that you've just been watching. Um, but it's a machine that's designed to integrate commercial-grade pneumatics with school-level control. So you can take your pickaxe chip programmed by Pick Logicator 
um, which is the side of the machine that we've been working on, um, and control the heavy-duty machine that uh, SMC and others have been working on to produce so that you can actually, for instance, um, in this case, the machine actually takes a key fob and actually puts the, the key fob together with a picture in the middle of it, although the head is interchangeable. So if you wanted to do some injection moulding, for instance, you could change the head and do something along those lines there. Um, if you don't know what pokey is, look it up on the internet. It's quite interesting. It basically means making something idiot-proof. Um, so basically it's the concept that when, if you have an operator in a workshop, it, you, you put something in, they can only put it in the correct way around so that the, the machine will always work correctly. In this case, done with a jig for the key fold mechanism, so the key fold can only be inserted one way around. But it also enables you to, to use pneumatics. And then if you're looking at delivering the level three a diploma, the advanced diploma, you can actually think about using some ledger logic and PLCs at that level as well. So basically what I'm saying is that you, you, the diploma is accessible from the robotics front. You can carry on using the teaching systems that are being available in schools, and they will address a number of the diploma things. But to teach the whole diploma, you will either have to... Um, work with outside organisations or look at additional equipment such as this thing to, to teach some of the, the other aspects of it. Um, I think there's big issues delivery of the, of the diploma. It starts in six months' time. You know, if um, you're going to deliver it, how are you going to deliver it? How are the teachers going to be trained? Uh, there's lots of CPD going on or being talked about and hopefully that, that will come very, very quickly. It's needed in the next six months. If you're a student, do you actually know much about the diplomas? Do you know much about engineering? Or does your mum say, I don't want you to go into engineering because that's changing cars down at QuickFit, changing tyres, sorry, down at QuickFit? There's a, I feel there's a, not a lot of low-level information going out in the media and the press about what the diplomas are about. I think there's high-level you know, if you, if you read the educational pages of the, of the, of the broadsheets, you'll have um, lots of information about diplomas. But what about the, the level one and two students? How is that information actually going out to them? And I think that's an issue that could be addressed as well. And what resources are available? And, and things, as people pointed out there, do you need a minibus? Do you actually need to be able to, to fit in 15 students? Is that going to be your, your class size? Because that's how many of you fit into a, a minibus. And so they start this September for the engineering. Um, the manufacturing follows next year. Um, is your school or is your organisation or are you involved with teaching it? I would say everybody in this room can be involved in some way, either by your company inviting students in to, to, to help the, the local um, schools issuing it. Um, if you need help, you know, there's places to go and we've, we've heard a few of them to us. If you need training, then we need to get it organised as soon as possible. I'm very positive for the diploma, but there are some issues that need resolving, and I think it is up to us, to, rather than expected to be spoon-fed, to actually go out there and actually do it. But I think you know, robotics has a very strong point in the diploma. You can teach a lot of the diploma with robotics, and so really it should take a positive approach from all the people in the room to actually uh, help, it, help it move forward. Just in case... Did you spot all of these things? These are just a few of the bits of the case in the video that I actually uh, looked at. Um, CD manufacturer, automotive chipboard manufacturer, chips, conveyors, drives, control, robotics, etc., etc. Lots of little bits in there. And these are the things that the students will be experiencing that they're hopefully experiencing that they're not really experiencing now if they've got a pure classroom orientation experience at, at Key Stationery and 4.
Okay. Do we have time for questions? Can I just stop a sec while we change tape? Of course, yeah. I think uh, inspiration is going to be the key to this, the success of this whole operation here. I've been mm-hmm. uh, in education for many years as a university lecturer in electronics and as a consultant uh, with Excel for years. Um, in fact, interestingly enough, I uh, noticed the basic outline of the robotics and uh, course there is remarkably similar to the ABCE module, virtually the same name that was introduced about five or six years ago, um, certainly by Edexcel. Mm-hmm. And the big problem was that I'm not sure anybody ever took it, uh, in spite of the fact that it had extensive teaching notes and was um, pushed on the lines that we talk about, trying to get kids interested in, in, in building things, that's a Lego and that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I, inspiration is a big key because I would not recommend showing that film, for example, to children and say, be inspired by this. I think every single one would be turned off immediately. I mean, where, where are the things like the DARPA challenge in America, basically? That's what you want to need to be showing. The, you know, the Mars exploration rovers on, uh, on, on Mars pushing this sort of thing as really exciting things to be involved with. Now, the thing is, the, the key thing is, these are happening in America. They're not happening here. What are we doing here to inspire our own children to get into electronics? The electronic industry has all but collapsed in the UK, um, the only real electronics you've got left now is in systems engineering. There isn't a great deal left in electronic design. Most of it's gone off to, <coughs> off to the Far East. So how are you going to get these kids interested enough to want to learn about the hardware and, and do the, perhaps the difficult bits? Which I, 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 agree, I agree with you, and I think that's what's been one of the very successes of the pickaxe equipment that we do, is that um, by taking a very low-cost chip that goes out to year... Uh, eight, seven, eight students and they can download for instance a mobile phone ringtone onto it and make some LEDs flash um, inspires a lot more electronics um, interest than for instance making a 555 timer just flash an LED Um, and I do believe that is happening um, well I know it's happening because we send tens of thousands of them so I think that kind of thing is happening within the schools Um, so I wouldn't say that there is no enthusiasm for electronics being pushed with the schools. I agree how do we follow that through at Key Stage 4 and Diploma. But then at the Diploma, you've also got to be careful about what you're actually showing the students and what they actually do. You say, here's, here's a fantastic little Avo robot. We're not going to make that. You know, it, there, there has, to be, um, has to be a correct balance there somewhere. Okay. Thank you very much. No problem. As I've just mentioned, um, I must convey apologies for Mark Walton, who's uh, one of Brian Willem's colleagues on the AQA systems and um, control uh, examiners. Uh, He's also assistant head at my local secondary school, and uh, he has been embedded robotics in the school curriculum many years ago there. And, in fact, uh, it's a uh, local school, Belvedere School in Shrewsbury's, a technology college, and all key stage three pupils get to do at least five weeks of robotics in each year, seven, eight, and nine, and then uh, quite a few of them opt to go on to do the GCSE in systems and control. Unfortunately, Mark's had some serious heart problems, and he did phone me last night to, to warn me that uh, he might not be feeling well enough to come today. So we'll move on in the program to our next speaker, who's 
the real chief executive officer of Valiant Technology. Apologies for that. Uh, dangers of relying on your memory when you've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> this is Dave Catlin, who's going to be talking about the 10 principles of educational robotic applications, and he'll be followed by his colleague Mike Blamers talking about the e-robot project. Hello, everybody. Um, I know my wife's watching this on the, on the feed, so she'll be pleased to know um, it's not Clive that's going home tonight. Um, I'm going to be talking about something completely different. Uh, I mean, everybody here has been talking about essentially what I classify as technology education. I'm going to be talking about using robots to teach kids mathematics and um, to teach them English and how to read and, and things of that nature. That's not that it doesn't include um, the kind of um, things that people have been talking about, but it's just the way that this has evolved as being from that background. And in fact, there's a lot of things that people have already talked about that I'm kind of excited about potential projects. I'm going to start with a little bit of a reprise with essentially with Seymour Papad for all of those who remember that, I think we're all, most of us old enough to, to remember him. He was essentially a, a mathematician. He was also a computer programmer for a while at the National Physics Laboratory in uh, Teddington. And then he, was, he worked with Piaget and, and very much was in touch with his constructivist ideas. And he was interested in epistemology. How do we get the ideas of how we think? And then he went to MIT where he worked with uh, Marvin Minsky. They co-founded the Media Lab and co-directed it. And, of course, he was there at a time when um, the other stalwart of um, the embryonic artificial intelligent movement, John McCarthy, was there. And effectively what he did was fuse together all of these ideas to produce the idea of Logo, um, which essentially is a computer programming language for controlling a robot both on screen, a virtual one, and a physical robot. And the essence of what he was about was trying to develop a tool for people to explore, for kids to explore ideas. And he asked this famous question, um, are we going to get computers to program our children a la sort of Skinnerian learning machines, or are our children going to program the computers? Um, and at this time, it was when, in, in AI terms, the sort of uh, prominent paradigm was that of, of um, formalism, when we were saying things that essentially computing and thinking were equivalent things. In fact, Minsky infamously called the brain a MIG computer, at one point. Um, and the idea essentially is that as students get involved in programming, um, then it's a sort of a, a early version of Nintendo Brain Gym. You have a mental workout by being involved in the creating programs and the programming structures. And particularly um, with Logo, it was very deeply embedded in a lot of mathematical ideas. But it also, the structure and nature of it affected what you explored and how you explored it. 
My personal involvement came with the Little Green Turtle, which now seems a long time ago, 1983. Um, I was absolutely fascinated by Power's idea, so I came out of being an engineer and developed that. And then we developed the ubiquitous Roma, which we've sold, well, it's kept me in food for many years, essentially putting a logo inside the robot and letting kids uh, program through the keyboard. And the thing in front is our new robot, Roma 2, uh, the old Roma we now call Classic Roma, and we're just going to call the Roma 2, eventually drop the 2 and just call it Roma. Um, what I want to um, think about in those first two robots is that they had a characteristic was that you programmed them through a keyboard, either on the computer or on the robot, they had a behavior which was fixed according to the formalist rules of logo, which interpreted those inputs and turned them into uh, movement, essentially. Now, at this time, we sort of, early years, we'd had a lot of experience of using Roma in special education needs and using Turtle in special education needs. But I thought there was a lot of room for robots to be used in SEN in general terms. And so I asked uh, Mike Blameyers, who's uh, the next speaker, who was running a uh, master's course for experienced SEN teachers at Canterbury. And I asked him if they'd do some work with this. So they, they actually got it. This was as long ago as 1992. So they took Romas and started to use them. And they had a, found some useful things with it, but they also found a lot of limitations. Obviously, a lot of kids with SEN needs couldn't actually cope with a keyboard. So that led us to the idea of, of having a, a modular robot system. Um, and, the, of course, the first thing with that is the different inputs, but we suddenly started to think, well, maybe we should have different outputs and maybe we should have even different behaviours. I think the key point here is that the r technologies like Roma and Turtle are actually pretty dumb kind of technologies. There's nothing that fantastic about them. What's very powerful is the logo philosophy and the framework that Papad gave it, and that's the thing that's been enduring over the years. So even back in 1992, and one of my excuses why it's taken so long to get this far, apart from commercial and financial issues, is that I felt that for us to really have a robotic system that could be of a general use, and I'm talking about thinking about a robot in the same way that we would think of a pencil or a paintbrush in a classroom, that it needs to be that simple and usable, um, that it really needed to have a, a, a theoretical framework to, to uh, think about, to, to be able to organize it. And essentially, that's where the era principles came from. It came from a number of years of thinking about this and of, ex of, of monitoring what's been going on with our robots all over the world. Um, another way of looking at this, in fact, is that this is a set of design criteria. I'm the designer of the robot, and so um, these are the kind of things that I set up as a... Uh, as the buttons that needed to be pressed if we were to try and develop uh, a, a useful robot in this kind of context. Um, the first of these principles 
intelligence. Now, we could argue all day about what we mean about intelligence. I'm going to put it in this context. One of the milestone dates in, in terms of the artificial intelligence world was when Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov at chess. In fact, David Levy, as you know, was a, is a grandmaster and had a bet with Papad and Minsky over how long it would take them to be able to create a system that would beat him at chess. Um, there's one thing absolutely certain. Every single one of us in this room could beat the heck out of Deep Blue at tic-tac-toe. It had this intelligence that was completely focused in on a particular application. So when I'm talking about modular behaviours, I'm talking about creating behaviours that can serve a particular educational purpose and that we have a robot that we can change the behaviour like that. I'm going to give you some examples this is a, a keypad from our new Roma. The, um, the keypad is actually a, a little bit like a concept keyboard. So you can create your own keyboard, create your own graphics, create your own behavior. One of the things that we're hoping to do is we're forming uh, partnerships where we're working with a lot of teachers to produce open source materials so that they... Uh, teachers can just access these and download them into the system. So it's a bit like an idea of an iPod that you just say, this is what I want to listen to or this is what I want to do today. Um, what's characteristic about this, of course, is the forwards, the backwards, the left and the right. But here's another keypad which has got nothing to do with forwards, left and right. In fact, this is Incy Wincy Spider for pre-readers um, who have been learning the rhyme and the issue is here can they actually get the rhyme in sequence so they press the keys they press the go button and the robot runs up and down singing Incy Wincy Spider and hopefully it goes up the pipe before the sun comes out um, this next one is simply that they are involved in spelling S simple CVC words Da or ga. If they press da or ga and they get it right, then the robot barks and runs off to the kennel. So it's a bit like, you know, when you're reading books with uh, kids and you've got pull-out things that you know, things pop up. It's a bit of a robotic version of that. It's a 3D kind of element of that. So the question, uh, second principle is embodiment. I am talking about physical robots and not virtual robots. And one of the questions we have to ask is, is there real value in this kind of context for physical robots? We recently had a, a group of half a dozen uh, very experienced teachers, very experienced with Logo, very experienced with Roma, and they were developing a curriculum for us. And I asked them the question, um, do we need to have a physical robot or could you do all of this with a virtual robot? Every single one of them insisted that the physical robot was a very valuable tool. Then I asked them why and none of them could articulate that question um, to reasons why they think. Now I have my own ideas. Um, I mean one of them are all a bit philosophical, but one of them certainly very philosophical in a sort of Kantian sense. We are creatures that live in time and space and we interpret the world in time and space. 
and um, having the robot in time and space with us as opposed to that kind of Tron movie where you put your consciousness into some virtual world, I think, has value. The other strand um, it really represents the same kind of shift that's happened in artificial intelligence over the last 20-odd years in moving from that formalist idea to the idea of embodiment, where we recognize that our brains are part of this holistic physical entity and that it has evolved, not been designed, it evolved to look after our body in this physical world. And it represents this whole idea that there's a very close bond between our thinking skills and the way we think and our physical existence. And, of course, Papad had that very much in his ideas of playing uh, turtle, of getting kids physically involved in actually what they're doing. In fact, I think uh, when the, the, they used to be called floor robots and then they kind of moved on to the tabletop and that was in a way a backward step because you didn't get the kids walking through and expressing themselves in the same way that they used to do. I want to give a, an example of how I think this works and this is a project being, um, for a Roma project being developed by some people associated with NASA. And the idea or a problem that we have when we're trying to get kids to understand things about space and the universe is just getting them to grasp the sheer size of it. Right? And what we do with this activity is the Rome is a sunbeam and it starts off at the sun and you ask the kids to stand in order that they think the planets are. Now, they're always going to get it wrong, but it doesn't matter. And then the sunbeam starts to go out, and it stops at Mercury, and it says, look, um, this is where Mercury is, and, uh, and it tells them that it's moved to scale that distance. So it asks them to reorder, asks them to stand to scale. Not in their wildest guesses do they get the scale right. Not in their wildest guesses. And it just goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And they get completely excited and involved and they get emotionally involved in this idea. Now you'll notice something here is that they're using the robot and they're interacting with the robot. There's not a bit of programming about it. It's something that they're just using as a tool. And that brings us to our third principle, interaction. Students, it recognizes students are active learners. It recognizes issues of multimodalities. Um, but there's this other thing that we interact through a variety of semiotic systems. And I think this is a very key word. For me, during the development, when I started to understand the ideas of semiotics, I started to understand a real way forward. Now, there's a lot of definitions in most books on semiotics which just say, simply says it's the science of signs. But this is my preferred um, um, definition because it has a couple of phrases in here. Communication and acquisition of knowledge. We are about communicating ideas to students. We are about them acquiring those ideas. I want to give an example of um, how this has worked. This is a project that was done in um, Norfolk somewhere in the early 90s where the teacher was getting the students to try and do a road safety activity by programming the robot to stop at the stop sign and not 
kill the badger on the zebra crossing, etc. So they program forward three, stop, wait for five seconds, and then go forward. What we're doing with the new technology is that we simply give the kids a bunch of road signs, and we have a map, and we put the roads. We ask them to where are you going to put the road signs on the map? What do these road signs do, and why should they be where they are? Now, there is an extension to this where they actually construct the behavior of the robot to recognize the road signs as well. But the basic thing is for them to be involved in the, the putting. Then they simply put the robot on the map and turn it on. If they've got two or three robots, they put two or three and they watch what happens. So the robot, as it comes up to the sign using the RFID type technologies, it recognizes the sign. So the children are, in a sense, creating an environment what I call the intelligent environment for the robot to react to. Um, the difference there is quite remarkable. In one circumstance, you're using logo to mediate between the knowledge you want the students to acquire and what they're doing. In the other circumstance, they're directly manipulating and playing around with the knowledge that you want them to gain. Um, this brings out the next principle, the pedagogical method how do we find different ways that we can, we can uh, actually deliver this into a classroom? Well, you know, I kind of feel quite old. I've been doing this, I realized, for about 28 years, and I've been doing this on five different continents, and we've got God knows how many Romas out there. Uh, when I analyzed all the things I've seen teachers done, we've come up with 23 different methods of, um, of making this work. I want to give you one example because I obviously would bore you stupid going through all of them. But um, let's look at this one, the provocateur. And I hope this microphone can follow me. Um, well, imagine I'm the robot and I'm stood on zero on a number line. And now I'm going to tell you um, I'm going to go forward three. So I've gone forward three. And now I'm going to go, and I'm at number three now. And now I'm going to go forward two. So I'm now at number five. And I'm going to come back one. I'm now at number four. I'm now going to come back seven. Where am I now? Right? Now, what you've done there is, with most kids in most classrooms, giving them that at the right time, the kids will say, please, miss, could we have numbers going the other way as well? In other words, they'll invent negative numbers. And rather than saying to them, I was talking to uh, uh, Gary up there, on, who's a, a math teacher, rather than telling them about negative numbers and then trying to explain them, you give them the reason these things exist in the first place and then let them play around with it. Um, of course, this is somewhere the curriculum relevance. These things have to start to deliver the curriculum. I mean, Papad was always a little bit anti-school and he... Um, certainly last time I spoke to him, he was still quite anti-school. Um, but if we remember the Edinburgh Logo project, that was very structured. So it is possible to structure this very clearly into ways that we're delivering specific things in the curriculum. And I want to really focus on what is the difference between you using this? What does it bring to the party? Um, and here's another, an example of some more work on a number line. Now, 
actually, I'm sure this is a very educated audience and very technical. Any math-phobic people here? Nobody wants to put their hand up. If I ask 95% of adults that I meet this, and I love asking it to journalists because they kind of flounder all over the place, and I ask them, what is, say, 4 minus, minus 3? And they go, and you see them trying to hide, and I say, no, don't be worried, just what is 4? I mean, what is 4 minus minus 3? Anybody want to tell me? 7. Okay, now if you're a math person, you, you, you may know the, the reason for this. Why is it seven? Well, most people fumble around in the archive and sort of say, well, because two minuses are a plus. Why are two minuses are a plus? That is the killer. I have no idea why two minuses are a plus. Now, you think about what we've done there. We've actually bastardized the language because there isn't such a thing as minus minus. There's minus negative numbers, but this is an epitome of rote learning. Here's a rule, remember it, live it, and by the time you get to 40, if somebody asks you a question like that, just look at them as though they're stupid. <laughs> the way you do this with a robot, I mean, you can see it there. What is subtraction about? One of the things that subtraction about is difference. Right, And the Roma to get from one there to four, it's got to travel the difference, which is three. For it to get from negative three to four, it's got to travel the distance. What have we done in that example? We've given them a mental model. We've given them a spatial and a kinesthetic model of what subtraction is about. We've deepened their knowledge about number. So one of the crucial things about robots used in this way is that it actually starts to be what the Americans call it meets those criteria of the science of learning, about understanding, about giving kids prior knowledge before you actually start to load on the formalization of what these things mean. It is, and always has been uh, uh, with the robots, that it supports sustainable learning, by which we mean problem solving, by which we mean uh, developing your metacognitive skills. That whole idea of programming in logo being like a brain gym is still very relevant. It is also something about engagement. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers the Horizon video that Papa did on Logo, which has now gone up on YouTube. Um, and it was fascinating to, to listen to him talk about it again. And he said, look, education has got nothing to do with explanation. It's got everything to do with falling in love with the material, to being engaged inside the subject. Um, Certainly one of the things that um, has intrigued me during this journey is, I mean, as Papa came out with this stuff circa 70s, uh, I guess coming out of um, Russia then with the whole Vygotskyan kind of ideas. Um, and I think we do have a different scenario. This is based upon the sort of apprenticeship models of learning, the sort of Lab and Wenger and, and uh, Rogoff stuff. But it's no longer a situation where there's the student and the teacher. We have to say that there's a student, the teacher, and this intelligent device that is sitting in the room. I think this opens up a number of things that are different to what Papad was talking about, 
where he was always talking about the kid programming the robot. I think sometimes it is quite acceptable for the robot to program the kid. I think it is a needs-must-needs-do kind of situation. But there's one thing that is always clear, which is another aspect of, of this engagement principle, is kids love robots. I have never met a primary school kid who doesn't love a robot. Right? The fact that we kill off that thing by the time they get to secondary school says a lot for maybe what we're doing. But kids love robots. And it's very easy to get them engaged. Now we've got robots that will talk to uh, kids. Within a year of now, I'll have a robot that will recognize one kid from another and will say their name and talk to them. And it will be able to give them activities that are relevant to what they need to know and need to engage in. The other principle is equity. One thing about the robot is it's very, very neutral. You know, it doesn't, you know... I mean, my daughter got very upset because our puppy dog, um, a friend came round who hasn't seen her for six months and the puppy dog just sat on her lap all night. My daughter, she loves Anne more than she loves me. Right? Robots aren't like that. They're just functional things in the end of the day. Here's an example of how that, that works with the old Roma. Uh, this was a project on the uh, far right there is the... Um, uh, or well, we all left, is the, a project done by the Maoris in New Zealand. And a lot of um, ethnic communities have problems engaging in technology. With robots, they don't have a problem. Um, and what they did here is, I mean, this had to go through all sorts of tribal councils before they would allow them to do this. And what they did was they painted the jackets up with their... Uh, um, uh, traditional tattoos and then they programmed the robots to dance their traditional dances which involved all sorts of ideas of symmetry and, and sequence um, the one on your right is uh, the uh, Wichita, Kansas equivalent with the square dancing right? um, and we have seen time and time again where people take projects and the, it's a tool of expression. One of the reasons why we make the Roma a very simple shape is because we want the kids to express what that shape is. Uh, the penultimate principle is personalization. I know this is the new buzzword, but it's actually been something that's been around for a long, long time as far as we're concerned. Um, the robot... Um, is a very flexible tool. That thing with the introducing the negative numbers is a whole class thing. Designing something could be a group thing or an individual uh, an individual activity. You know, one of the one of the activities that I actually liked the most was where a, a teacher in Chicago took the Roma to a, a, a seven year old boy who could you could definitely say he was from the wrong side of the tracks, right? His father's in jail, his mother's a crack addict. He doesn't get involved in mathematics, forget it. Right? And she gave him the Roma, and he was kind of intrigued in it, and she said, what do you want to do with this? And he said, I want to make it turn. And she said, okay, how far do you want it to turn? I want it to turn the whole way around. So she said, okay, so you're going to press right and then a number. What number should you put in? And he said, eight. And then it just moved eight degrees. And it was visibly shocked. 
For 45 minutes, he, for the first time in his, his life, he played with numbers. He explored numbers. He went from single digit to two digit to three digit numbers and he discovered that 360 was a magic number because it made the thing turn all the way around. That is a very individual circumstances and believe me, over 25 years I've got a catalogue of, of that kind of stuff. What's really, really important is five years ago we couldn't have done some of the things that are possible now. Uh, uh, our first speaker was talking about some of those things with the emotional um, reaction where the robot can recognize a kid waving his hand or a kid being angry, like kiss, the Kismet robot at MIT. We can do that. What we need to have to do that is not the gimmicky technology, but the valuable, valid educational activity that plugs into that curriculum that helps us to deliver what we need to deliver. And that comes down to the final principle, the one of practicality. This has got to be an incredibly practical thing. If it's a wet Monday morning and your house burnt down and your husband left you, you've got 30 kids to deal with, and if you can't set this up in a couple of minutes to be doing the lesson, then the technology's failing. And I believe the technology is there for us to be able to do that. Um, now, in a way, we look on these principles as a sort of hypothesis. We do need to validate them, which is what Mike will be talking about with the e-research project. Um, I know you guys are all more the, the techie end of the spectrum. I don't want you to think that this robot is just down there at the primary level, right? You were talking about having a base for doing some of the things you're doing. We're already well down the road in developing some of those ideas, including those ideas that you were talking about, Andy, about having something in between the uh, construction kit and the make everything uh, yourself. We have, for example, um, the Institute of Education are doing a project with sunspots where the students can move their arms and their bodies and the robot will move in accordance with how they're moving and what they're planning to do is to integrate that within teaching children calculus. Um, I also see that kind of thing being an absolute godsend for uh, people who are doing, for example, music therapy. The uh, equipment that you can now strap on your head and just think... This is the, the system is set up that it is easy to interface it to deal with that. So a little bit of what we're doing now is sort of like struggling to get this into our first production run, which hopefully will be will be uh, ordering the molding tools this month. Um, and we're working very hard on developing uh, activities. And so just as a final thing, I'll mention uh, our road partnership. Um, which is the, it stands for the Roma Application Development Partnership, and what we're trying to do is form relationships with people like you, people who are trying to deliver things and saying, look, we'd like to do this and we'd like to do that. And what we're saying is, look, we can do that, 
But what we don't want to do is start with a technology and bring you a technology. I mean, we've done some of that to an extent. We've provided a framework. But it's up to you to define the technology for, 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 for what you want and for us to work together in being able to produce something. Everything that you produce as part of that will be open source and free to teachers. So that's pretty much the end of what I've got to say. And um, I think um, Mike Blamers, who has been the co-author of these principles, will be talking next. And then we'll answer questions together, I guess. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, as everybody's been bringing on uh, fantastic computers and computers of the future, I thought I'd better bring mine along. I've borrowed it. Uh, some of you from, uh, from your demographic here, I realise, and it's gone sulky, uh, some of you from your demographic would be fans of the Ian Banks novels, uh, uh, the science fiction novels about the culture. This is a, a, a robot from that. Uh, from the culture, uh, it can take on various forms. When it goes into a very low-level culture, it will adapt itself to that. And in this case, it resembles a backpack. Uh, it, uh, uh, we don't need to worry about programming uh, because it learns that itself. It's far more intelligent than I have. And when you give me the difficult questions later on, it will answer them. Okay. Uh, while we're talking about pedagogy, uh, I'm, re I'm very aware of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and uh, that teaches me uh, that your needs for intellectual stimulation probably very low compared to your need to get to loo or eat things so I am going to be quick okay uh, but that doesn't make, uh, take away the fact that what I'm going to tell you is absolutely fantastic and really useful it pulls everything together that's been said this morning hopefully uh, I'm struggling to find your presentation right okie dokie uh, could I just say that, to put it, flip it back that on, he's developing a sense of humour that these uh, uh, that, uh, banks notice okay. in these things, that coming from a very advanced ut uh, utopian socialist uh, uh, in, uh, uh, society, it's, it's decorated itself with pictures of Mao Zedong, the hammer and sickle, and Che Guevara. Okay. Uh, I noticed a triangle. Uh, being displayed in, in uh, uh, Dave's uh, presentation earlier on. Uh, I, uh, I went to a, a conference by TLRP, uh, which is the 30 or 40 million pound funded uh, uh, research project for UK education. Uh, when it comes to presenting things graphically, everything is, goes down to a triangle. Uh, so my, my attempt is to move beyond a triangle here, uh, hopefully bringing things into the 21st century and capitalising on the beauty of two-dimensional printing. Uh, what we have there is the, uh, the, the, the principles or the postulates. We're influenced by uh, Isaac Asimov, you know, the principles of robots, but also uh, the, uh, the ideas of George Kelly uh, uh, from 1955 who, who set together a, a theory of psychology in one book, uh, uh, the, the, the Psychology of Personal Constructs, where he, he tried to put together future-proofed uh, principles that would uh, uh, describe human behaviour and be uh, long-lasting. Whether or not that was successful or not, that, that probably, is, as Mao Zedong says, is too early to say. Uh, but we've tried to do that with the principles here, to, uh, to move not beyond 
just what the Roma can do, but what education robots can achieve. And we're uh, we trying to lead that into a research agenda. Uh, and so we, uh, uh, we've got a sort of content management system that we, we've developed from this that we aspire to. Uh, I notice a lot of people in the audience about my age uh, and, uh, and uh, will maybe remember, look and learn, or even treasure, depending whether you're a sissy or not. Uh, and they, they, they had a, a thing which was two interlocking circles that you could get uh, pieces of cardboard, and one was to do with the countries of the world, and the other one was to do with kings and queens of England. And as you moved it around, uh, you could find all sorts of interesting details about that. And I, I now realise those things are called databases or content management systems. Uh, and so this is what I'm aspiring to have here uh, as a way forward. Uh, it's a preliminary attempt uh, at a framework that can support researchers and educators working, working together. What authority do I have to say that we, we, you know, we can get uh, uh, researchers uh, into uh, uh, building robots uh, for, for education? How can we get those people working alongside uh, teachers and informing teachers? Well, we've been working a lot in terms of my, my other job is as director of the Teacher Training Resource Bank, which is uh, a funded uh, project from the Teacher Development Agency, uh, which is about enabling teachers to harness uh, the evidence that underpins education. And we've got about 4,000 uh, articles downloaded uh, every, every day. Uh, it seems to be used quite well. I don't know if that is a significant figure or not, but it seems to be being used. And we've got lots of people writing uh, interpretations and, and evaluations of research uh, for very little money. Uh, from many different universities across the country. It's a commonwealth. It does work. And uh, I have an aspiration uh, for, uh, for that type of work to continue in, in this sort of area. Uh, uh, the project we, uh, we're calling it uh, eRobot, following on the, uh, those principles, there, uh, we see it's, a, it's the next stage of development of, of, of the educational robot. It's multiple uh, meanings, education, evaluation, and evolution, uh, it recognises the work of Isaac Asimov, and there's a big fashion to put I in front of everything. I was very tempted to call it the iRobot uh, uh, project, because uh, then we could say it's to do with interactive intentionality and identity, but then again I might get sued by Apple. Uh, uh, there's a wide range of project partners involved in the development of educational applications of robotics. What we're trying to do is provide a focal point, a web resource. So that's why we're doing this. It includes research students who may not know much about education, but they wonder, uh, they, they may be doing PhDs on robotic devices. Uh, it may be practicing teachers. Uh, interestingly enough, back in 1992, those students had a, a day off a week uh, to do their project. A couple of years earlier, they would have got a term off uh, from school to do their professional development. Uh, and, and now uh, we're saying it's a great luxury to be given two days. Uh, we've got to rethink things in terms of uh, what, how people uh, professionally development in education. And maybe we look, should look to other high-chip professions and vocations and say, we want some of that too, you know. Uh, they've got to have given high-quality time to do this work if the government thinks it's important. 
we need a common framework to develop to explore and evaluate educational potential of the robotics based upon uh, informed conceptual frameworks, based upon the evidence. There's incredible tradition of knowledge within robotics. And, uh, we, we've, we've talked about Seymour Papert. Uh, uh, we can go, go back to a, a wide range of people. There tended to be, uh, some of the PhDs at the time, were tended to be uh, people doing research on their children. Uh, we need to move uh, beyond that because uh, we've had challenges to what constitutes evidence uh, uh, of, of applicability uh, from in, in the US with, with things like No Child Left Behind uh, and whether or not that uh, gets uh, reinstated. It's left its legacy of what, what is evidence for, uh, for uh, effectiveness and uh, effectiveness for who. You know, it, do, this stuff may work, but how does it work and what are the benefits for different people? And we've got to show that across different educational settings. Why again? Teachers need to see the use of educational robotics is manageable or worthwhile. That is not me laying a prescription on teachers. That's what professional teachers want. They want to know that this stuff is going to be really good. It's going to be worth the investment. And we've got to be able to persuade them that it's worth getting your hands dirty and getting involved with these geeky type things. Uh, and we need to move into a situation that it's quite easy to assess the educational benefit of the use of robots. Uh, so we have to build that in to the use of these devices. So there's the challenge. Uh, and that follows from good educational assessment practice. Uh, it fits in with the principles of assessment for learning. And that's the buzzword. There's some useful stuff. If you go on to the uh, www, uh, that's three W's, .ttrb.ac.uk and look, uh, do a search for use of data to inform teaching. You'll find a very good Australian uh, summary review on that topic which gives a big critique of the assessment for learning uh, uh, movement and, and moves that debate on a little further. I think we need to enable us uh, as a profession to use that uh, and, and uh, utilise all those different resources. So we need, how are we going to do this? We, we need to articulate uh, an evidence-informed conceptual framework. That's where the postulates come from, believe it or not. It's from our investigation of, of Vygotsky and various others, uh, uh, the work of, uh, of, of, of Piaget uh, and, and the followers from that and Papert. Uh, and so that helps us to set some testable ideas for investigation. We need to move from their future-proof statements uh, that look abstract to make them classroom friendly. Um, as, as one of the presenters earlier on said, you've got to make them uh, readily accessible. So we also need to develop a tool to establish thinking and application of education robotics within different uh, settings. So we're setting ourselves the task of two devices or two resources, one aimed at teachers and one aimed at researchers, uh, and uh, we, we want these to be web-based so that uh, they can be added to and developed by the, by the community. So we're trying to create a shared research and evaluation methodology. The researchers talking with the, uh, with the teachers at the same time. The move towards master's level teaching 
at postgraduate level has already begun. The government has just announced in in England the uh, MTeach program, which is an expectation of all, uh, uh, not all, but a vast majority of teachers in the first five years of gaining a master's level qualification or the matter of uh, in, in teaching in pedagogics uh, I think the, 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 that ups the bar I think for uh, people's use of evidence and we need to make them uh, get involved with that one of the useful resources in relation to that is the famed Magenta book which outlines different evaluation methodologies uh, to look at effectiveness and surprisingly for a government uh, 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 resource, it isn't purely technical rationalism. You know, we want to see what works. It, it, it celebrates a wide range of tra- traditions that have informed the development of robotics, participation, observe, uh, participant observation, uh, case studies, in-depth case studies, uh, and reflect, you know, uh, reflective diaries and discourse analysis. Uh, so it's not just harsh uh, epi uh, control groups, but that we've got ways of dealing with uh, control groups uh, uh, in an ethical way uh, if you want them. Uh, we want to move on to create exemplars of use and modules of practice. The concept behind this is the open source methodology where sharing to the common, common good. Uh, and we, uh, we're saying leading edge case studies. I think that's a dodgy phrase, isn't it? Like, uh, the, the government used to be putting out best examples of best practice, and now Teachers TV says, well, we, what we're trying to do is show interesting practice. And that, that's quite useful because, uh, I think over time what becomes, was best practice can quite often be tested. Uh, and it, it's useful material because we, uh, we, we learn from looking at other people's naturalistic practice. Uh, oh, uh, my dyslexia has suddenly cropped in there. I do apologise. You will find various syntactic errors on there, so you will feel, uh, feel superior to me at some point. Uh, uh, the, 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 there will be notes by my colleague on that later on telling me about the mistake. But I deliberately put those in because I find that teachers, once they've spotted two or three spelling errors, uh, they feel a lot more at ease. Right. Um, we, w- we want to move on to deep case studies uh, and uh, uh, provide models for critical analysis of implementation, uh, looking at uh, the education usability and effectiveness of resources. So we we're looking at Web 2 technologies, uh, but that's a buzzword. That just means that uh, people participate and create their own uh, stuff. Uh, what we've found is that it's more open source where people are involved in the quality assurance of their resources. Peer review, uh, I think they're called journals. Uh, we want to move those much more into the public domain. There is a problem with journals, isn't there, that uh, governments pay for a lot of research, a lot of charities pay for research, uh, and then uh, universities and the government have to pay for that research again as they pay for the subscription to the journals for the research that they've paid for in the beginning. Uh, we need to move beyond that. I think uh, uh, there are way compromises to be made in that. So the issue of, 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 of participant resource quality assured by the profession for the uh, profession. Uh, and we're building in the concept of uh, transparency, dissemination and valorization. Valorization, lovely buzzword. It just means that there's uh, benefits for you to be involved in that. It's a classic Marxism term maybe coming back into fashion. 
builds on the research traditions. I'm not going to rehearse those for you, but I'm just recognising that there's a wide range of research initiatives that inform the development of education robotics, uh, which we want to build on, and we do not want to forget the past. Uh, I've put together some ways that the different principles that we've put can be translated into user-friendly classroom questions. So if I just zonk through those, and I'll test you on those later. <laughs> Just to show you that I've done them reasonably well. Okay. And so we've got some questions, to, uh, some research questions that arise from the principles. But then there are more key questions for research. And these are some of the basic who, what, where, the journalistic questions that inform all good research. So we've put some of those together. And from these, these are what the toolkit will develop. A bit simplest at the moment. Oh, that shows you where I'm from. Uh, I do apologise if I'm mumbling. My heart is also not working very well. Uh, and and, and uh, I'm very short of, of breath. Uh, that's who I am and that's where I've come from if you want to be engaged in the, the project. My satchel is very keen to answer your questions. Okay, thank you. Is there a place on the web where there's more information about this project you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, at the moment uh, uh, you, uh, you go to the, uh, uh, the commercial partner on this, but it's uh, uh, you uh, You'll find a link to it uh, when it is being developed on from the Valiant site, okay? When it's been developed, so it's yeah. not there yet? It's not there yet, no. Okay. We're, we're in the process of preparing it. This conference needed to be a couple of months later. We've already, got, we've already got a wiki, though. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah there's a lot of information about to pour onto the website about the first of all the Roma 2 project and also um, the e-robot research project and also on the TTRB as well uh, I'm a bit guilty wary doing this after some people talked about robot sex uh, stuff here about TTRB, uh, if, if you haven't got details of that, to show that at least we've got something that exists. Any more questions? Everybody's ready for their dinner. <laughs> We're around over dinner. All right, thank you. I'm sure you'll all agree we've had a series of superb and thought-provoking uh, presentations this morning. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, if we could meet back here at promptly at quarter to two, please. The, uh